I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... What's happening now is we have something called presence bias. Presence bias is I'm going to have a little bit more of a favorable feeling towards someone whom I see their face more often in my office. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Our guest today is one of our favorites, Mary Abajay. She's the president of the CareerStone Group here in Washington, D.C., and also the author of Managing Up, How to Move Up, Win at Work, and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Talk about a claim and a title. But Mary and I talk about a wide variety of things about careers. And specifically, we drill down into what COVID has done to careers, career, career expectations, the boss-employee relationship, forgive the use of those stupid terms, the idea of mentoring. What does it mean to be mentored? Either you mentor, you're being mentored, or sometimes you become the mentee. And perhaps also as important, our discussion of what an office means. What is the commercial real estate business going to look like in three, five, 15 years? Spoiler alert, not like today. Anyway, it's a fantastic conversation about what it means to be an employee in a corporation as we leave COVID and start a whole new phase of workforce. Here's our conversation. Welcome back. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So everything we talked about last time has either become more important (laughs) or new, fresh perspectives have come into play. Yep. We nailed it last time. We made predictions and we nailed it. Everything we said, we were very prescient. Everything we said has happened. Yeah. So why do the show? Just tell our people, (laughs) listen to the... No. There is, but it's just, to me, the cascading series of decisions that management, uh, employees, boss-employee relationships, the cascading series of impact that both COVID, post-COVID, the new alternative work schedules, it just continues to explode in my personal experience, and I'm sure in you and your colleagues. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, we're still in sort of a tenuous situation or an experimental situation, if you will. People, our organizations are still trying to figure out how this hybrid thing works. There's still a lot of people that want uh, their employees back in the office. Employees don't want to be back in the physical office full time. They do, however, want to be there part time. Managers and leaders are trying to figure out how to manage uh, their teams in a hybrid situation, how to maintain and cultivate the culture of the organization that they like. They've got to figure out how to do things like mentoring and networking and and sharing of ideas and collaboration. It's still a little bit of the Wild West out there. I think we'll figure it out, but we're not there yet. So you said to me one of the uh, explosive words, which is mentoring. Yeah. You know, it's overused. It's, I think it's overused. It's, it can mean a whole lot of things to different people. But I do believe that that feature of supervisor-employee or whatever the relationship is, that that happens best face-to-face. And I think no matter what the technology we're using, maybe someday there'll be six-foot icons or whatever like in uh, like like Princess Leia in Star Trek, <laughs> right? You know, right. Help, help me, Obi-Wan, that we'll see people, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But until that day, I think this is a, a, a faint way to understand – what your boss expects of you or how you can impress your boss or your boss's boss, all that stuff we did to sort of climb up the ladder. That word seems to be loaded, but what are you seeing taking its place 
in cyberspace. Yeah, so I think, you know, I will, I think that mentoring, I do think mentoring can happen virtually, but mentoring relies on having a really trusting relationship. Bingo. So it's really about the relationship. So I think there, there really does probably need to be some in-person relationship building. So I want to take it back a step and make sure when we talk about mentoring, we're all talking about the same thing. So mentoring is when somebody ha- who has more experience, not necessarily older, but more seasoned in some area of professional expertise. Let the record show that Mary paused and (laughs) gestured with her index finger, not necessarily older. Agreed. Please. More experience helps a a person who has less experience, the mentee, actually develop the skills, the sensibility, the knowledge uh, to move forward in their life or in their career. Mm -hmm. And mentors can be both formal, uh, you know, part of a formal mentoring program. They could be someone I say to you, Mark, I want you to be my mentor. Here's a check. Um, You usually don't pay your mentors. Or it could be more informal, like I might be calling your lovely producer every now and then and having her help me, you know, coach me through some media thing. Uh, mentors can do you, also... Do you give her a check? Because oh, I, I, we no. got a check no, on I that. No, I buy okay. her a drink. Are you kidding me? Like, Tracy's easy. Uh, uh, <laughs> she's, you know, she's and she's tiny, so it only takes one or two drinks or and two. she's done. Uh, and then you can also do reverse mentoring, which I think we forgot about. And that is what when... Is that? that? is when someone say, this is when age does come into it, but this is when someone who may be younger, but is more experienced in something, uh, mentors someone who's older, who's less experienced in something. Like when you ask your eight-year-old grandchild to help you figure out the TikTok, yeah. that could be called reverse mentoring got it how much time i mean this is to me the real question as companies say one day back two days back monday tuesday and thursday all this sort of equation that we're hearing and they're testing what's your prediction of how many days a service company not a manufacturing company or you know nurses and stuff what what how many days out of five will we end up sort of settling on i think we're gonna settle on three days a week yeah i think we're gonna settle on three days a week and i think we talk about selling on three days a week. I think what companies are finding is it has to have more structure to it. When you just say to the group or the team, everybody, you've got to be in the office three days a week. Choose which days you come in, which days you want to work remotely are fine. That's where we're having some challenges. So a lot of organizations are putting it down to their teams, and the teams are creating more structure. So a team might say, let's work work from the office Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, and work remotely Monday and Thursday, because mm-hmm. that's going to help them build that sort of esprit de or where they're all in the office so we can uh, take advantage of the casual collisions, of the mentoring, of the conversation. So I think organizations who are finding more success with the hybrid are putting a little bit more structure around it. So team, does it stop at team or do you see or are you seeing clients or companies even going farther and saying everybody's got to be in Monday, Tuesday and Thursday or are we still trying to figure that out? Uh, we're still trying to figure that out. So we see everything. There are so many manifestations of the hybrid. You have everything from the company saying, everybody's here Tuesday through Thursday, Mondays are your alternate work day, to the company saying, you know, um, uh, you can all work from home, but everyone has to be in one day. So we're seeing all over. So my advice for organizations is so you've got to experiment and figure out what works for you and what works for your people. What gives you the most engagement? What gives you the most productivity? What keeps morale up? Uh, because if we just to, are too laissez-faire, it's too hard to, to uh, capture the data on what's working and what's not. We're talking with Mary Abajay. She's the president of CareerStone Group and also the author of Managing Up, How to Move Up, Win at Work, and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. We're going to get to that final (laughs) phrase in a minute because I've had some crazy bosses where I failed to succeed. Just so you know, I should have had your book. (laughs) Mark, I cannot believe you failed to succeed anywhere. Wow, look at that. That's the kind of... um, Now that's that's, managing up, folks. (laughs) Wow, duly noted. See, we're already learning a lot. 
But the um, the idea of, uh, of, of 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 mentoring and learning from your boss, or maybe I shouldn't say your boss, your your supervisor or whatever co- colleague up up the ladder, d- down the ladder, um, and reverse mentoring. One thing that I saw in the federal government, I think you and I chatted about this last time we were together, to your point on structure, is the federal government created AWS alternative work yep. schedules. And at least in my team when I was there, the SBA, we had about 100 people in my squad. And I was unable, because I, I checked, I was unable to mandate certain people at certain levels on what their AWS would be. They would request it, and then some third party would say, sure. Yeah. So on a given, to your point, on a given Tuesday, a, something would pop up, and it's like, well, where's Susie? Because Susie runs that, and Susie was on AWS, or Ralph was on AWS, and frankly, they weren't that they weren't that available. So my question is, where's the line, or are we still figuring this out, on demanding availability on the AWS arena? And even more important, how do you judge people's performance? Yeah, such great questions. You know, in many ways, the federal government, or at least many of the civilian agencies, were really well equipped to handle the pandemic, right? Because they were used to doing some telework, right. and they were they did have some de- AWS. Uh, I think what we need to be able to think about is like what are the productivity uh, data metrics, you know? So I think oftentimes we judge, oh, I see your your butts in that seat for this many hours a week, so I think you're working hard. So I think we have to be really clear about what are the performance metrics, uh, quantitatively, not only qualitatively. And I think once we can manage by those results, it'll be a lot easier. I think AWS is a little bit different in that AWS was was a day off, right? Like, or Right. So we need to be clear about what it means to have AWS and what it means when you are fully expected to be working remotely. So I think we need to clarify for our employees and for our managers and our supervisors what that looks like. And we need to hold – it needs to be equitable. So we need to make sure that we are holding everybody to the similar standards. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> to your point, um, at least in the government, AWS was actually a workday. And we had, not to bore you or our listeners, but we had some situations where people, one specific situation where the person said, I am not available. Uh, you, you can't call my cell phone or my home phone yeah, that has during to AWS. Add. So I said, well, what does a W stand for? It stands for work. I mean, yeah. you're, you're actually at work. But that collision between availability and contacting them, to your point, the government was facing this many, many years ago. I think, I'm not sure they figured it out. But I know that every company is probably now facing this exact same kind of collision. I think so as well. But I think with the government, like I work with government agencies and I always thought AWS means they weren't working that day. So I think the government <laughs> did a very poor job yes. of really clarifying expectations. Agreed. Uh, every organization has to be really clear about expectations. AWS is well, also just the name AWS sounds like, oh, right. I don't have to work today. It's an alternate. Yeah. Uh, but I think we have to be really clear about what your expectations are when you're working remotely. How will you be reached? How much time is there uh, between someone reaching out and you reaching back to them? Which I would say to any employee that's listening to here, if you want to keep your remote, if you want to keep your flexibility, you've got to really be responsive and partner with your organization. If I'm a boss and I'm emailing you on a day where you're working remote and it takes you two hours to get back to me, I'm going to make up all kind of stories in my head that you're not working, you're not being there. So I think responsiveness is really important for people who are working remotely. You said exactly what I tell people. In the absence of data, we often create the worst possible, worst possible explanation. And that sadly is a human condition. And bosses are like, ah, they're screwing off. When in fact, you could be on another project, whatever, whatever the situation is, A. And B, 
a lot of research shows that, in fact, people work longer. Yeah, they do. When they are at home because there's a little bit of guilt or whatever. They're going to make up for that two hours off when they were playing ball with their kids or whatever. But this, I still get back to promotion, to judgment, to to how do you figure out if Susie or Ralph, if it's between two people to get the next job promotion, how do we figure out who deserves it? And I, th- I think there's still... I think we don't know yet, do we? Well, we do know it's the person that has b- the better performance. But what happens is between Susie and Ralph, um, well, uh, first let me back up. We think we have a criteria, right? We think we've set criteria for promotions and advancements. Like we think we've set logical, objective criteria. But the truth is our personal biases always come into play. And what's happening now is we have something called presence bias. Mm-hmm. And presence bias is I'm going to have a little bit more of a favorable, a little bit more of a favorable um, uh, feeling towards someone whom I see their face more often in my office. And when managers or leaders are office cravers, or if you're working for someone who is what we call an office craver, who's in the office, you need to show your face. Wait, wait, wait. Office Cravers? Office Cravers. I love it. Thank you for a new term. Uh, So if you're working for an office craver, you do need to show your face a little bit. And when you're in the office, even if it's only three days a week, you want to get FaceTime with that boss or that manager or that leader because you want to make sure you don't fall subject to the uh, underside of presence bias. That's Mary Abijay. When we come back, she and I are going to talk about the office space of today, what's happening with it, and what tomorrow's office is going to look like. a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. about the types of people that are now coming into the office because office space clearly in February of 2020 a lot of companies had made commitments long-term commitments for massive amounts of office space we talked about a a local entity that had one and then everything changed but the people that are coming to the office you started with the term office cravers what are some subsets of that all right so we've got three three kind of camps of people in the work world today Number one are the office cravers. These are the people that want to be in a physical office, right? They would like to be there for all kinds of reasons. They may be sort of your command and control types, like, I got to see everybody to know what's going on. They may be your raging extroverts, like our lovely Mark Walsh, who just likes to be, no, I'm not, who just likes to be with people, like, so the energy of being in the the room. They might be your people who are uh, just starting off in their career, and they really want to be feel the office and get to know people and i think you mentioned one which i hadn't thought of yeah which was why was your well i i i've certainly had employees people that are bad at their job <laughs> and just... have convinced themselves and frankly it's worked that if they kiss enough ass by working the room they can proceed I now think... i think they top out at some point but I... there's definitely a chunk of i those. think that's a big chunk of the office cravers there's some chunk of it and so office cravers uh, and we're talking about the global workforce account for about 10 to 15 
of people. Mm -hmm. And then the next category or camp of people is what we call mixers. And these are people that want some flexibility. They might want to work from the office one day, from home one day, from a Starbucks another day. They want to keep that flexibility and mix it up. And they're about 70 to 74% of the global workforce. Wow. It's huge. And then the third camp, which I think I fall into, is the is the home dweller. And these are the people that never see any reason to ever go into the flipping office ever again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like these are there's no reason for them. And it might be because they're really introverted. It might be because they just work better at home. It might be because they hate people. Who knows? Uh, and they are about 10 to 15 percent of the workforce. Well let's drill down on you and yeah. no disrespect. I mean if you yeah. if you can pretend it's somebody else besides name Mary, <laughs> but your in, your industry, your colleagues at Careerstone, service industry, consulting, et cetera. Um, so you can afford to yes. interact with people like you suggested. But there are a lot of jobs where there, you need something like that. And I guess, are you seeing people that wish they could stay out of the flipping office? I love flipping, by the way. Yeah. Stay in the flipping office forever. But they end up not being able to pull that off. Absolutely. It's so kind of sector and organizational dependent, like what your profession is. And even within an organization, like, for example, a hospital system, right? Yeah. So a hospital, there are people who absolutely cannot work remotely. Yeah. I'm thinking your doctors and your nurses, for the most part, unless they have some telehealth going on, but your accountants could work remotely. And so this is the part that makes it very challenging for larger organizations is to try to make a try to make a protocol or a policy that feels fair and equitable to different types of, of workers and different types of professions. So equitable. Yeah. We've we've heard that. You've said it a couple times in this conversation, and it's a it's a big loaded word. Yeah, it is. Where are you seeing some of your clients having challenges in that applying that sort of philosophy? Well, we see it when people, when uh, one group is allowed to work remotely and one group isn't. And they uh, think they're the same. And, and like, they how, think why they're the same. That? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they, they don't understand why uh, why this job function gets to work remotely and I don't have that. And it might be because the job function is really different. Uh, so organizations have to grapple with talking about that in a way that makes sense for them. And maybe there's something else they can do for the people who literally cannot work remotely. Um, or the people, quite frankly, if you're in a job where you can't work remotely and you want to work remotely, it might be about for you figuring out how to upskill to a job that can allow you to work remotely. So people take some responsibility too for what they want. So technology. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I touched on it earlier with the avatars and stuff like that. Clearly a bunch of people, maybe in your clients are experiencing this, decided to move to Boulder, Colorado because they can do the yeah. job that they used to do in downtown Washington, D.C. remotely. And it's working out fine so 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 far. Do you see technology continuing to make that cap- that capability more attractive to more and more people? Yeah. So we are seeing, especially things like in technology and finance, more in the accounting world, uh, where you don't really need to be physically in well, an office. I meant the, the technology of how you communicate and interact oh, abso- with your people, but absolutely. also the industry technology. Absolutely. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think technology is going to is going to go in the in the in the direction of doing of really being able to enable. Uh, remote working even more. I mean, look what happened during the pandemic. Look yeah. at what Zoom did. Look at what WebEx did. Look at what even Google Meets did. Everybody really got on that uh, technology and really enhanced it. Yeah. So <clears throat> just as a sidebar, so Google Meet, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, 
What percentage of those three pieces of technology do you see being used in you or your client's space? Ooh, depends on the client sector. It really does, doesn't it? So private sector, Zoom all day long. All day. Um, all day. Government, they love their teams, which, by the way, drives me crazy. Drives me Although, crazy. Teams is getting better. Teams is getting better. Oh, my. But, but coming from still a horrible not my favorite. place. Yeah. Oh, the thing about teams that I hate is, well, one of the, one of the things I hate about teams is there's no filter. <laughs> With a Zoom, I can look like I'm 30 years old again. Damn it's right. fantastic. And yeah. like, it kind it helps because there are days where you get up and you're like, oh, my God, it's Monday at 10. I got a darn, you know, vi virtual video meeting. Yeah. But if it's Zoom, I don't worry about it. If it's exactly. Teams, I'm like, oh, dear God, no one needs to see this. Yeah, and and I, th I think it's a Seattle thing. I think it's Seattle, the grungy, that uh, headquarters of Microsoft, so for Teams, they don't care. They got the coffee and the fake hat and the grungy shirt. <laughs> I love that. But no, Zoom, I, I think Zoom is actually an operating system now. It's become an OS and they keep adding features. If I were in charge of Zoom, I would add features even faster because I think they're pulling away from everything. But um, uh, to your point. Zoom uh, nailed it. Zoom has nailed, nailed it. it. Nailed and, it. But Teams and, uh, first of all, remember Skype? Like, what What? What the hell happened to them? I think I still have it somewhere yeah. on my computer. I know why. Norwegian, it's uh, it's the Scandinavian people. Oh. They're, they're, they're in, I shouldn't say. God, I'm going to get I'm gonna Okay, get you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> no, but it's, it's Scandinavia. Skype was founded in, believe it or not, in Estonia. Yeah. But the Finlands, the Finns will tell you that they made it, but that isn't actually true. But that you know is a, You know what's show. funny about this is that when we, before the pandemic, one in one of my workshops, I used to always ask people, because we talk about workplace preferences, I used to ask people, you know, what's your preferred way to communicate? And everybody yeah. said in person or email. And without doubt, in every workshop, we're talking thousands of people, everybody said their least favorite way to communicate at work was through video calling uh, you ask people today yeah and they'll say zoom number one yeah forget it's email. so interesting yeah yeah well speaking of interacting both in space office space yeah so we, we we chatted about some of the economic impact make a prediction because you're you're good at that we we've nailed it a few times What's tomorrow's office look like? Are those open tables with lots nope. of techies sitting around? What What's tomorrow's successful office space? And second question, how much shrinkage do you think there will have to be in these major office space uh, renters, be the federal government or private sector, D.C. being an example? What, what What's going to happen to that? All right, so let me do the second question first, Go. shrinkage, yeah. uh, which reminds me of a funny Seinfeld thing. I can't believe Very, you guys know. I know. <laughs> All right, when so, I said it, I was like, is that George Costanza? <laughs> That's George Costanza. It shrinks. Um, I predict 50% shrinkage. Five zero. Five zero. I predict wow. five zero percent shrinkage. Um, I do, and I think they're going to be smarter about their space. Get on to the first question. I think it's going to be a mixed use space, and by when I say mixed use, I don't mean you know Starbucks here. I mean there's going to be a mixture of offices, of cubicles, of open spaces. I think there's going to be more hoteling because people are yeah. not going to be there um, every day, and so I think it's going to look like if you've ever been inside the GSA, the new GSA building, 18th I and not. I think it's going to be a little bit like that. Shout out to GSA, holla! Um, it's really nice. Lots of different conference rooms or the new Marriott headquarters is going to be a whole mixture of different things and really? hoteling will be huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about residential? Some of these buildings are thinking about turning into residential. It, I think they absolutely should. We have a housing crisis in DC. There's not enough housing. Of course, I doubt that they're going to turn into affordable housing, but the more we can get young people living close to work, think about how easy. Imagine if you have if you have housing in the first 10 floors or the top 10 floors, and then you have offices below it. I mean, I think that's what we're going to see more of. Well, wasn't the crazy nut at WeWork actually had that vision a long time yeah. ago with We Live and We, we Work, We Live and We right? Work, yeah. By the way, he's raised another $500 million for some new idea. Have you well, seen Yeah, this? he's buying. He is actually doing that We Live, and he's going to uh, create, like, dormitory-style living all over it. I think he's bought a whole bunch of property in Florida. 
He's going to make another gazillion dollars. Oh, please. I know. I'm sorry. I, I just, know. I, saw, <laughs> I, I started to watch the, the, the HBO series with him, and, and I just halfway what through What was that it called? I, we Sucked? No, it was called We... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a dismissive yeah, title. I saw that. And, yeah, uh, and the two the characters, Jared Leto and um, and Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway, who I think nailed it from what I can tell. She nailed I, it. I don't know the guy. Yeah. I've been around, I've met him. I shook his hand, but I don't know the guy. But this, to your point, he clearly got a bunch of money from Mark Andreessen, the big venture guy, and m- maybe his timing is exquisite because it was great before he was the visionary. If I may, just as a sidebar, the guy had like never done anything in his life. He's just a fantastic salesman. Great salesman. Yeah. See, people people underestimate salesmen. Well, speaking um, of salesmen, how do people sell in this new environment? I mean, it's hard to sell on Zoom. Are salespeople still going to make trips and go see people? I do think so. I yeah. think, and I think it depends on what you're selling. So, okay. you know, we sell, I sell still primarily virtually. So yeah. someone calls me like, oh, we want a workshop. We want this. I get on the phone. I realize it razzle dazzle and I sell them. But I think when you're buying, I think it depends on what you're selling. But I do think the personal visit is going to come back. I don't think it's going to come back completely, but but I think it's coming back a bit. So what is a workshop with Career Stone Group? Like what's a typical assignment that you and your colleagues do? Oh my goodness. We what we what we say we do and what we do is we actually help people be successful in their in their profession and in their work life. So we're either helping them be successful at work or we're helping the workplaces create the conditions for people to be successful. Wow. So it could be something as simple as leadership development, communication skills, emotional intelligence. Of course, we do managing up, which is our number one workshop. But we also work with organizations to help them think about their culture. We do a lot of facilitation, facilitating executive retreats, team meetings. Uh, we do do some, you know, analysis of what's working well and what's not working well, uh, and then we help them find the right intervention. So we so, work on both sides. Lightning round, managing up in those. Are the people and their bosses in the same room? Because aren't you telling the people, here's how you make your boss like you? I mean, how, how do you do that? <laughs> this is my favorite thing to do. Okay. Basically, it's by having a conversation about expectations, needs, and wants, and preferences. Love it. And people don't really say, like, I would say to the boss, do your people understand what you want from them or how to interact with you? I think I do. Well, have you ever told them? Well, I don't think so. I think they'll figure it out. Well, don't make them figure it out. Tell them. Yeah. And then we say to the people, like, what is it you want or need from your boss? And, you know, how do you interact? So it's really fun to do them when they're together. ENWP, expectation, needs, wants, and preferences, yeah. right? Yep. That's the secret sauce. Yep. The secret sauce, baby. And that's Career Stone Group uh, with our president, Mary Abajay, as our guest today. Mary, as you know, here on the show, we ask our guests at the end <laughs> if you rule the world, you have a magic wand in front of you that you pick up. What's a thing that you would start happening that you don't see today or a thing that you would stop happening? that bothers you or you think is detrimental or both? I would, I, I rule the world. Rule the world. Um, I would make self-driving cars safe, mm. affordable, and required. Wow. <laughs> I would like to never have to drive again in Washington, D.C., yep. in the DMV. I would like to be driven, but I don't want to be calling an Uber all the time. Yep. And I would like to see the traffic situation taken care of. And I think if everybody had like these automated cars and we didn't have humans like messing around, it might be a whole new world. So expectation needs wants and preferences. <laughs> I'm going to answer that for you. Your expectation is that uh, the future is going to be non-driven. Your needs are, I don't want to call Looper. Right. Your want is that everybody should have to have, make this happen. And your preference is that, I assume your preference is that the car you're in is a nice one. Yes. Is that a fair one? Or a free one. Or a free. 
wow. I don't want to be stuck in traffic anymore. Like, I, I don't want to be stuck in traffic anymore. By the way, every science fiction movie you see, that's where it's That's going. where it is. So, yeah. I, you know. Let's go there. I'm almost 60 years old, Sixty years old, Mark. I'm tired of waiting yeah. for either the flying car yep. or the automated car. Bring yeah. it on. Okay. That and avatars. It's Mary Abajay. She's been our guest today here on What's Working in Washington. She's the president of the Career Stone Group and also the author of Managing Up, How to Move Up, Win at Work, and Succeed with Any Type of Boss. Mary, great to have you again. Great to be here. Thank you. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbeam. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.